Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 32, through chapter 5, verse 11. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many owned lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each and as any had need. There was a Levite by the name of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, and, brand, and then brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But when a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was, were the proceeds not at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God." Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these things. This is the word of the Lord. I think maybe we should pray one more time. <laughs> Here are our hearts. Lord, by the resurrection power of your word, speak what is true. Amen. The whole group of believers of one heart and soul, no one claiming private ownership of any possessions, but everything that they held or had was held in common. It's a great passage with the fear of socialism in the air in the United States. Fear of the rising enthusiasm for this approach to economy in the country. Fear of other things about ourselves that I suspect we probably don't want to admit if we can even see them. What must strike us about this passage, what struck me as I was preparing for this morning, is that the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is so economic, so focused on the sharing of possessions, including houses and even the truly invaluable resource of land. So much so that lying about what you share is lying to the Spirit of God itself 
and get you killed. We've insulated ourselves with a lot of layers, I think, to protect us from the force of teaching like this in the book of Acts. Today, if we're honest, I think we do not even pretend to be interested enough in the needy among us to sell anything that we own to provide for them, much less to sell houses or land for them and forsake private ownership of possessions altogether. We prioritize the material security of ourselves and perhaps our immediate family, comfortable with token contributions of charity that leave our material security untouched and don't interfere with our investment portfolios the pleasures and ambitions we have developed and are slow to scrutinize. We may be perfectly capable of handling our possessions so that there is no needy person among us to free our community from material neediness. But we choose not to. And we devise arguments for why we don't have to try because it probably wouldn't work anyway. We have a whole system of private ownership and earnings and people's responsibility for themselves rather than others. A system that effectively absolves us of responsibility for inherited patterns of life that produce the needy near and far and keep them that way. We may say that we people of faith are of one heart and soul. But we would not mean the whole group of us who believe, as our passage says, and we'd be talking about a sentimental oneness of heart and soul when oneness of heart and soul involves economics, according to Acts. A material sharing that costs. One that costs especially people like most of us gathered here today who enjoy the possession of houses and land and a surplus of wealth. And so we know little of the power of the Apostles' testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We've insulated ourselves with a lot of layers to protect ourselves from the force of teaching like this in the book of Acts. But here it is this morning, staring at us. Uh, this was the passage I was told to preach on. <laughs> In the description of this powerful community of witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we're given two examples by which to measure our life of faith. The first is Barnabas a Jew native to Cyprus, a Levite whose broken priestly past comes to fruition here in Jerusalem, far from his island home, and not through the temple made by human hands in Jerusalem. He whose spouse, if he has one, is not mentioned, I hope you noticed, 
is moved by the powerful spirit of resurrection to wed his future materially to the community of disciples. A temple of bodies not made by human hands that care for one another. He does this by selling a piece of land on Cyprus that he owned and his family might have inherited. So the spirit of resurrection is moving people like Barnabas to be joined materially and bodily to one another, defying the usual pattern of family inheritance and at some cost to invest in a family free of material need because of how they share. Freedom through costly sharing. That's the discipleship that the Spirit inspires. Perhaps we see ourselves more in the other example of Ananias and Sapphira, who are not only introduced as a couple, but collude as a couple to lie to the Spirit that is freeing the community through costly sharing. This couple of some means does not want to sit on the sidelines of the community of disciples moved to share so powerfully. They want to claim their share in it. Now they don't have to. No one is making them. Peter's words that Fidelia read clarify that selling land and other possessions to lay them at the apostles' feet to be redistributed to the needy is an invitation to the members of the community, not an obligation. Yet Ananias and Sapphira agreed to sell their land for one price, but to tell the community that they sold it for another. A lower price that was the value of their offering, as if they had given all they could, when in fact they had not. They die suddenly, one by one, the fruition of the death of the first human couple, who also agreed not only to pit their immediate desires for themselves against God's desire for their trust and a future of togetherness, but also tried to hide what they had done. Now, people like us are apt to think, wow, that's pretty harsh. I mean, sheesh, at least uh, Ananias and Sapphira gave something. Probably a lot. And presumably they're a couple with children, maybe grandchildren, other hopes and dreams that would understandably move them to keep back part of the sale price for themselves, for the future of their family. Why not some words to discourage lying, but thanks for at least what they did give? Because the power of resurrection is too costly to be measured in dollars and cents. Because coffers full of money cannot hold a community together because only the sharing of material resources that is powered by truthfulness, transparency, and trust 
forms the bonds of community across generations. The bonds of a temple of bodies not made by human hands. The bonds of free and undying human life. The bonds of resurrection. Because lying to the spirit of the community that is joining its members together exacts a terrible and deathly price on that community and eventually on one's own family. The apostles did not order the death of Ananias and Sapphira, but they named their death for the consequences of lying that it was. One of the wounds in the Christian imagination of our time as I see it is the sense that much of what is reported to us in the Bible are random acts of divine magic. Whether Jesus is feeding the 5,000 or His resurrection or the sudden death of the couple Ananias and Sapphira. That there's a normal pattern to life and then miracles that are exceptions to that mundane pattern. This is partly what allows us to imagine that the bursts of power that are reported to us in the Bible have nothing to do with everyday economics. When they have everything to do with everyday economics, even if they are deeply at odds with the economy that we have made with our hands and our minds over generations. God does not in fact intervene with sporadic acts of magic in a drab world. God has made the whole world magical, including you and me, with occasional bursts of power that enable us to see what we've been living without seeing. As our passage today makes abundantly clear, the resurrection of Jesus is an economic matter because it is expressed in how people share with one another. The way Jesus fed the 5,000 was an intensification of the grace of God that is always at work in the world. A compressed form of the diffuse power of God that is constantly and astonishingly giving, providing food for all of God's creatures every day. However dull we have grown to that diffuse power. Jesus' resurrection from among the dead was the fullness of the life that God is always making out of death. Out of the death of what God has created. All of us gathered here today as bodies, as relationships, are the fruit of people and other creatures long dead. Some of whom we ate for breakfast before coming to church. The way that Jesus ate and fed, the way that He healed, touched and was touched, the way He listened and spoke, the way He lived and died was how He shared what He had been given with others and so how God shared with us and is still sharing with us in Him. This is why His resurrection life spills out in Acts as a common life of one heart and soul. A community in which 
No one claims private ownership of any possessions, but everything they own is held in common. Similarly, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira was not a random act of nasty divine magic, but the intensification of what lying about the way we give to one another is always doing among us and others. That we might learn from their terrifying deaths the cost of lying like that. And so be moved to tell the truth about our giving. Lying about what we give to one another really does lead to death. It tears a community apart over time, sowing distrust, estrangement, and finally the loss of health that kills people. When we say we're giving all we can for the health care of our community, even though we're not, we produce the widespread assumption that the health care of all is simply more than we can afford. And so some do not receive what they need and they die because of it. When we say we're giving all we can for the needy, when we're in fact holding some back for the good fortune of our own children and grandchildren, we legitimize those priorities and many who are needy perish while we and our children and grandchildren have more than enough. When our patterns of lying about what we can give persist, we don't trust one another. And whether as neighbors or as countries, we turn our world into places of rivalry rather than community, of exploiting and hoarding to get what we can, knowing that our rivals are doing the same thing and people die because of that. In fact, we destroy our very selves because of it, as our relationships and the inner life of each one of us suffer the consequences of rivalry and the rule of competition as our way of life the consequences of agreeing to pit our more immediate desires against God's desire for our trust and a future of togetherness and of agreeing to lie about what we're giving to what we think is our advantage. The compressed form of this pattern of death by lying in the couple Ananias and Sapphira warns us today about what happens when we lie about what we can give. Especially when we lie to the Spirit that is itself God's desire to join us together, the power of resurrection itself. The integrity of our sharing and our ability to grow in it across time, especially across generations, depends upon our truthfulness about it. Acts shows us, I think, that the economics of our discipleship today is not where it needs to be. That we are currently refusing the costs of discipleship that actually turn out to free us and others. But it shows us that we are not altogether lost either. I imagine you, like I, can name ways that people have shared with us in our lives at great material cost to themselves and so brought us and themselves a measure of freedom together 
And we can grow in our sharing today toward the sharing of resurrection. The key is that we not lie about what we're doing, whether to ourselves or others. That we not accept trumped-up measures of giving, as if our token amounts of charity were enough and all we could give, when in fact, they are not. So yes, people like us of this church community must give far more than we do for the care of those in need. But more importantly, we must be truthful about whatever it is that we give and not pretend that it is more generous than it is. Generosity is not measured in dollars and cents, but in how much God has given you to be able to share. Start, I would suggest, by looking around you among lives that your attention might be called to in your current movements every week, every day. The immigration team of our church, for example, is drawing our attention to refugees who need homes to stay in. And opening your home to them might be one costly step toward placing your home at the feet of Jesus' apostles and providing a measure of freedom to others and I think you will find also to yourself. It probably takes less energy to learn how you could be a material part of helping Pasadena homeless into homes than it takes to plan your summer vacation. Our church and city are full of students who are taking on way too much debt to complete their studies, often in preparation for vocations of non-profit service. Maybe some of your possessions can be sold to provide for some of them. What is lacking are not opportunities for smart material giving, but desire that is an expression of God's own desire in us. God's desire for us to be joined together by the power of the Spirit, to practice a discipleship that costs and so frees us and others by joining us materially together. This kind of life cannot come only from people complying with an imposed law of sharing. It must be free in order to bring freedom. But there is no freedom without it. Amen.